0: home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the
1: voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. Glenn Gullitson fired as head coach of the Calgary Flames today on the ice. Capitals and Blue Jackets tied 1-1 late in the second period. Jets up 1-0 on the Wild early in the second frame. Vegas and Los Angeles later. The Blue Jays... Rallying, they've scored four in the bottom of the seventh. They are still batting and lead the Kansas City Royals 4 3. Second half of a doubleheader. Blue Jays won this afternoon 11 3. Raptors up 104 90 on the Wizards early in the fourth quarter. Toronto trying to go up 2 0 in that first round series. AJHL final game four just getting underway in Spruce Grove. The Saints trying to sweep Okotoks tonight. Just quickly, some text to 6.30, 6.30. Uh, John B. says, I can't believe the blah, blah, blah rhetoric about the Oilers. Virtually the same team everyone called to make the cup was created by the man everyone is slamming. He's talking about the Bruins and Peter Shirelli. John goes on to say, You can't have it both ways. The Oilers will learn from this year and move forward. Players who did poorly this year will improve towards their career averages. Talbot had issues. The defense had to play a step above their positions all year with Sekra being injured. Relax, people. The Oilers are young and learning. You have to be allowed to fail in order to succeed. That is from John. And another texter says, uh, Nobody ever says it, but it's about the money. Ridiculous amounts of money for individual players results in individual play. Look at Vegas; they all get paid around the same, thus resulting in a complete team effort. Sid the Kid took a pay cut a couple seasons ago to keep his team on top. All the players should be paid around the same with performance bonuses. That will give everyone the incentive to play. Their top players will still get the pay they deserve, as uh, they would lead the team and get their bonuses. That's a Texas Six thirty. Six thirty. Well, I, I I have a policy. You're all entitled to your own opinions. You're not entitled to your own facts. Everybody on Vegas does not make about the same. In fact, uh, six players make five million dollars or more. Several players make one million or less. And uh, you know the Nashville Predators have Ryan Johansson making eight million, Philip Forsberg making six, couple guys, uh, a few guys making between four and five. Pekka Rinne making seven. PK Subban making nine million dollars. So if uh, well-played athletes uh, don't play hard, how did the Nashville Predators with four extremely highly paid players win the President's Trophy? That would be my question to that unnamed texter. But hey, I can be argumentative sometimes. My name is Reed Wilkins, Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 630 Chet. Thank you so much for joining us. You can go to the contest page on 630 chcom You have to enter by noon on Sunday, April 29th. We have a contest for you and two buddies, colleagues, co-workers, spouses, whatever, <laughs> to golf with me at the ranch. And Murray McCourt will help us there. He's the GM of the ranch. Murray, how's it going? Very well. How are you? I'm doing great. It's great to have you on the show, and thanks for coming on board with that contest. Uh, I I hope I can handle your course. I'm not very good, Murray. <laughs> well, you'll be just
2: fine. Especially if you play earlier in the year before all the, tre- the leaves get on the trees. Then uh, it toughens up
1: when that happens. Oh, I bet. And also joining us tonight, Ken Idgles. It Ken. Ingoldsby from Riverside. He's the head pro there. Ken, I played your course probably 20 times uh, last summer and I was hoping to be out there this week, but no such luck, eh? No, that's not going that way so far, Reed. Oh, man. That's why I wanted to have you guys on because this is a, uh, a frustrating season for golfers. And the reason I thought, you know, Dave Campbell, my producer, and I were talking. And I thought it would make an interesting segment because that's one thing that I've been asked by even people who don't golf. They've been coming up to me and saying, what What are all the golfers going to do? Uh, Murray, I'll, I'll start with you at the ranch. Uh, I mean, just give us a sense of where you would usually hope to be on April 17th as compared to where you are today. Well,
2: uh, I would say over the historical data of the ranch, an average opening for us is actually between April 15th and April 20th. Uh, sure, there's been the odd year, like a couple of years ago, we opened on April 2nd, uh, which was extremely early and, and, and a big bonus. But, uh, you know, being open at, like right now today, it would be a very average opening. And uh, to be honest with you, right now, we're not, I'm not saying this as a set in stone, but I, uh, our game plan right now is that we'll be open next Friday, which uh, wouldn't be too bad at all. And if you look at last year, we actually opened on April 19th for on a day that was about four or five degrees, had very few players out, snowed the next day, and uh, then we opened on April 30th. So really last year, our opening day was April 30th, and uh, right now it looks like we're gonna be a couple days ahead of that.
1: Well, that's interesting perspective. Ken, what about at at Riverside? Uh, We're kind of typically the same. We would normally
0: open around April 15th. Uh, The last few years, we have had a few years where we've opened early. Uh, but then, you know, we might get a, a snowstorm and then shut down. Last year, I think we opened and closed twice before we actually opened for good. So we're we're probably going to be, I would think, maybe a week and a half to two weeks behind where we'd normally be. We're hoping to be open, you know, hopefully within the next
3: couple of weeks.
1: Ken, when, when we have the snow here hanging around... What what does that make the biggest challenge for? Is it just the course drying out? Is is the health? Is it the health of the greens? Give me a sense of that.
0: Uh, I mean, for us, we're we're just kind of on the, on the other side of the river, so um, or on the wrong side of the river. So the biggest thing right now is trying to move some of the snow around and and just get things speeded up as best we can. Uh, the grounds crew they were on the greens fairly early, kind of. Getting those things going, but right now it's just kind of trying to get things going as quickly as possible. Once the weather does break,
1: okay. And, and Murray, in, in terms of uh, you know, at at the ranch, is you know, it, what about just all the moisture that's hanging around there? Is is that is that an issue? And how are the greens looking?
2: Well, with us, uh, our the base of the ranch is all sand, so we drain extremely well, and. We also, our cart path, only, we have uh, paved cart paths all the way around our golf course. So when we need to early in the year or in big rainy conditions, we can just go cart path only and the carts stay on the path and it's no big deal for us anyways. But like I said, it, we drain so well, which at this time of year in situations like this bodes very well for us compared to some other golf courses. On the flip side of that, because we have a sand base, we have a drought year then we can dry out a little faster than other golf courses, so it can bite us in the butt a little bit in that scenario. And as for our greens, uh, you know, we, we've we cleared our greens quite some time ago, and uh, as Ken was saying, they, they do the same. And we do a heavy top dress in the in the fall as well, and a few of our greens we we decided to put tarps on this year, so we haven't seen those ones. But everything we've seen actually looks outstanding so far, and with the long, hard winter, we're very optimistic that we're going to open in absolutely outstanding conditions. So okay. that would be a great thing, too.
1: Well, I, I'm 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 happy with what you guys are telling me, that you know we're not going to have to be waiting until the May-long weekend <laughs> to call for something like this. And, hey, I, like we know the climate. You guys have, have lived and worked here for a long time. we got Murray McCourt from the ranch, Ken Ingoldsby from uh, Riverside joining us tonight. I'll, I'll just throw this out there for both you guys. Uh, and look, every golf course wants to do well. Uh, you know, every golf course is, is is trying to get as many people out there. It's it's you know, it's a business. Uh, you know, you're asking people to to spend some time and money on your course and and make it a good experience. You know, having said that, Edmonton and area can can create some some unique uh, challenges with the weather. How much you know? Like, you, will courses share information? Like, will pros and GMS get together and sometimes to talk about challenges of of coming out of a winter? Or how does how does that work? I'll let either either you jump in. Whoever wants to start. Who's going, Kev?
0: <laughs> yeah, I think there's I think there's constant communication between. You know, between the golf pros between the superintendents just to kind of get a feel for what you know what's going on around the area uh, everybody's trying to help each other out as best they can
1: well yeah that's an interesting side to it right because if one guy figures out hey my, we this happened over the winter and here's how I help my greens survive or be in good shape you think that that'd be important information for everybody to share for sure okay I got another tough one for you guys Um so a lot of us, well, me anyway, I mean, I, I don't swing all winter. And, you know, I, so now you go out there. What do, you, what do you guys recommend to do before the first? Because, look, I'm sure you guys see it, a lot of people, they uh, get the clubs out of the basement, they put them in the trunk, they drive to the golf course, they walk to the first tee, they take a couple practice swings and do a half-butted stretch, and then they hit the first shot. <laughs> So when when you haven't played for six or seven months, uh uh Murray, I'll start with you. What's uh what's the advice coming out of the coming out of the chill. They hit those first few shots of the year.
2: Well it's this time of year that I get lots of chiropractors and massage therapists uh, <laughs> reaching out to me seeing if they can get some uh get some some help with steering some customers their direction because exactly what you suggested is gonna fill up some chiropractor and massage therapy offices, no doubt about that. But, you know, with with that type of thing, uh, yoga has become so popular over the last uh, number of years, and and, and that uh, deep stretch that, uh, that you get from, from a yoga class is something that I would highly recommend to avid golfers to get into uh... before they they get out and, and start the season i mean it's getting a little late to to get a lot of benefit from that at this stage of the game but again, any type of consistent stretching program would be good and before you get to that first tee the first time i would highly recommend you get to the driving range and well in advance of your tee time and don't pull out the driver first start with your wedges and build your way up to the driver to get your body a little more limber before you start swinging the big
1: stick you know ken there's uh there's the old joke where the golfer is saying uh how do i make sure i do well my first round of the year and the reply was lower your expectations <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah i would i would agree with murray totally as far as uh you know try to stretch out as much as you can beforehand uh, you know and if you can get to the range uh just to kind of loosen up a little bit and you know just at it a little bit easier the first little while when you get out there just so you don't you don't pull something right out of the gate.
1: All right. Well, guys, I, I'm, I'm encouraged by what you're telling me about the, the progress of the courses, despite what we've seen here, well, through most of April, but especially the last uh, couple of days. Uh, just quickly here, Ken, obviously, Riverside and the other two city courses, and I, know, and I know I used your online booking system a lot, so that'll be up and running. And can people use 311 to book tee times as well once you get they going? They can,
0: absolutely. Yeah, they can absolutely go through 311 as well, or they can do it online.
1: Okay, so you can just go through the City of Edmonton site, and uh, Murray, uh, how do people look up the ranch online if they want to look uh, at rates or just find out more about the course?
2: Well, our website is theranchgolf.com, and uh, we now have a fancy online booking system uh, as well, so it's easier than ever to book online at the ranch starting uh, this year once we open uh, open up the tee sheet to get booking, once we finalize our opening day, or of course you can always phone us 470-4700, and our great staff in the pro shop will happily book book times for
1: you. All right. Well, I'm going to be golfing at both your courses. Uh, like I said, Ken, I, uh, Riverside was uh, was kind of my uh, my home course, I guess, if I had one last summer. And, Murray, I, I I think this is at least the third time you've been on the show, and I don't think we've ever met in person. So I'm looking forward to that when I get out there with the contest winners sometime this summer, buddy. That sounds great. Ken, awesome. thank, thank you. See you guys. Okay. Look forward to it. Right on. That is Murray McCourt checking in from the ranch. Ken Idglesby from Riverside. And uh, they're both uh, optimistic, and they kind of gave the explanation about the dates they usually start at and what they're looking at this season. And it's going to be pretty close. Shouldn't be too far behind or perhaps even not at all when you compare it to some seasons. So there's hopefully something to feel good about, especially for those of you like me. Who are eager to get the clubs out of the closet. It is seven nineteen inside sports on Ched. We'll update your scoreboard when we get back.
4: This is Mike Riley from Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on six thirty Chad.
1: Eskimo's got a minicamp in Vegas coming up this weekend. We'll have their first preseason game here on 630 Chet on May 27th. Some guests on the show get gift certificates to Northern Chicken bringing down south comfort food to Edmonton with Southern Classics and other tasty treats salivate over the menu at NorthChickenYEG.com After two, Capitals up 2-1 on the Blue Jackets. In the second period, Jets lead the Wild 1-0. Thousands gathered at Rogers Place this afternoon for the celebration of life for four of the players killed in the Humboldt Broncos bus crash. Family, friends, musicians remembering Jackson Joseph, Logan Hunter, Parker Tobin, and Stephen Wack. Big
0: As dark as our world has been, we have been incredibly blessed by a nation and a world that has wrapped their arms around our Broncos family. Jackson, Parker, Logan, and Steven, were young men who made an impact on their teammates, their coaches, their
1: trainer, their community, and their world.
0: The past week, since the bus crash, has been the hardest thing any parent could possibly go through. I will carry you in my heart through all of life's awesome moments, and I look forward to the day when someone asks me about you, and I smile instead of cry.
2: ability to make people smile and laugh. His wide smile and quick wit would come out of nowhere,
4: but he'd always follow it up with a kind hug or chin nod or a what's
1: up. I'm proud to have coached Logan. I'm proud to have taught Logan. I'm most proud to have called Logan my friend.
0: Hockey was his first love, and he played it with lots of heart. I was blessed to be able to grow up with a person like Logan.
4: He was everything you could ever want out of a friend.
0: You just don't know. No, you never
1: get. Following the final game of the series, I remember Parker making an intentional effort to come find me after the game. And standard Parker, with a big smile, he wished us the best. He shook my hand, he pulled me in, and he gave me a hug. That's the type
4: of person that Parker was. Stephen exemplified academic ability, strength of character, and dedication. He was an exceptional individual humble, kind, and extremely hardworking. Stephen excelled at everything he put his mind to, whether it was his hobbies or school or as a brother, friend, and son. One of the best things about Stephen was his love for his brother, Justin. Being a witness to that every time I was around them was pretty
1: special. Stephen had an incredible sense of humor. That combined with his natural resilience and his infectious personality made him someone that you'd
4: always want to have in your corner. I'd like to speak on behalf of Humboldt and just thank you for the opportunity to have known them. Not just four hockey players, that's that's just a small part of who they are, they're four young men who happen to play hockey, and I'm thankful that
2: we were able to share that and be able to get to know them in that way.
0: strong
3: You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader 630 CH.
1: All right, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. It is 7.33 Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio. 6.30 Chet, top of the ninth. Blue Jays and Royals are tied 4-4. Raptors up 127-110 on the Wizards late in the fourth quarter. Two minutes to go there. Capitals lead the Blue Jackets 2-1 after 40 minutes. Jets up 1-0 on the Wild late in the second period. Mark Shifley has the only goal in about an hour. The Golden Knights will try to sweep. Yes, we will try to sweep. The Los Angeles Kings as their amazing season continues. Glenn Gullitson fired by the Calgary Flames today after they missed the playoffs. And in Spruce Grove, game four of the Alberta Junior Hockey League final, Okotoks leading the Spruce Grove Saints 1-0. Uh, This is late in the first period. Okotoks must win to keep the series going. Saints are up three games to nothing. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thank you so much for tuning in. Yeah, a lot of exciting hockey going on. The American Hockey League playoffs are set to begin. And I'm pleased to welcome back to the show the head coach of the Texas Stars. It is Derek Laxtall. Derek, good to speak with you. How are you doing? I'm
3: not too bad, Reed. How are you this evening?
1: Oh, I'm doing well. It's good to catch up with you. We haven't talked since uh, early in the season. You guys uh, getting into the postseason. Is it, you got Ontario in the first round? Is that the matchup? Yeah, we got Ontario in the first
3: round, and uh, just listening to your uh, your uh, pre-entry there, I sure hope that Vegas doesn't uh, sweep L.A., because they'll probably end up getting four four players back, which would strengthen their club. But, yeah, we open up on Thursday night against the Ontario Reign, the uh, L.A. Kings fight
1: all right. What was it like for you guys this season? Uh, you know, obviously, w- when you're coaching an AHL team, sometimes, the, you, you, well, not sometimes, you deal with roster uncertainty, call ups, injuries on the big club. Uh, how much of that did you have to deal with this year, Derek?
3: Well, one of the things uh, we really dealt with this year, Reed, is uh, we, we had a lot of stability in our club early. Um, I don't think we were as strong as we thought we were coming out of the gates. I think we ended up being in. Third and fourth, fifth place in our division all year. And you know, if you look at our division, I don't think there was one team that ended up uh, below 500. Just shows you how strong it was. And uh, down the stretch, look at San Jose; they went eight straight to get in over San Diego. So it was pretty close all year. You know, a lot of teams would win two, lose two, win five, lose five. uh, But at the end of the day, it was a real tough division. And our our team really grew as the season went along. We lost key members like Jason Dixon, played a lot of a lot of days in NHL. Curtis McKenzie was up. Uh, Dylan was up for about three months uh, during the season, so uh, like any team, you have your co-ops and the one, the one thing about our group that we really enjoyed, there was a close-knit family and they were really resilient um, I think we had, if you can believe this number 28 overtime games this year
1: cool. Jeez. So that was uh, that's about a 30-year year, over a 30-year year would have gone to overtime, that's insane
3: Yeah it was and we ended up. I think our final record was thirty-eight, twenty-four, eight-five. And if you take, you know, five of those overtime losses or five of those shootout losses, and you know, we probably would have ended up first place in, in the division. But we ended up. Uh, we ended up uh, having a great uh, March and April. We ended up uh, finishing second in the division behind
1: Tucson. I, well, I'm glad you mentioned all the overtime games. How have you enjoyed coaching and adapting to having to coach in the three-on-three format? Well, it's awesome when you win. <laughs> that's when you lose. <laughs> <laughs> so you know how what? many how many uh, units will you go with in three on three?
3: Well, we uh, I probably go with about. honestly, uh, we usually try and go two defensemen or two fours, one defense most of the time, and run about uh, three sets of fours uh, to the one uh, to the to the one defense. So it's uh, usually about three or four defensemen and six fours. But you know, what's interesting is that the overtime is really developed. The coaches are getting smart. They're trying to find ways. You know, you want the puck right off the opening face-offs. You want, you want to possess the puck. You don't want to defend because once you defend, you usually don't get the puck back until there's a shot save or a shot that misses that. And then you get a rebound. And then you just, now you start to get the track beat going with two-on-ones each way. But, uh, teams are playing man-on-man. Teams are playing, uh, zone defense or just sit back. And that's something we do. We play a tight, a tight triangle. But it's, uh, really developed. And, uh, you know, again, it's great when you score. And it sure sucks when
1: you lose. You know, it's funny. The Oilers had that game against Anaheim where the Ducks circled back in their own end for a minute before attacking. And we got Rob and I got uh, calls and texts after the game. Trust it to pro hockey coaches to suck the life out of everything. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, there's a nothing there's to the madness. And at the end of the day, the coaches are just doing their job trying to win the game. They don't care how they win it. It's about getting the two points and getting in the playoffs. So... Um, you know, if you look at a team like San Diego, who will miss the playoffs by one point or one-tenth of a percentage point in the American hockey league, uh, I'm sure they would love to have uh, have an extra point overtime or an extra point in a shootout. So uh, I know it's tough sometimes for the fans. They all want to be uh, on to their coaches and try and dictate and try and predict what's going on. But I'll tell you what, these coaches, you know, win or lose, make the playoffs, don't make the playoffs, they give their uh, 24-7. Every day, every week, and uh, whatever 196 days of the year, it's just you know, it's amazing the work these guys put in.
1: Derek uh, Derek Lastall from the Texas Stars, head coach of the Stars, joining us tonight on Inside Sports. Obviously, uh, former Memorial Cup winning coach with the Edmonton Oil Kings. Derek, give us a, a sense of your growth over the last two or three seasons. I, I mean, I know you know you and I always talked when you were with the Oil Kings. I remember you were you were emotional when you were leaving Edmonton, but you also said, uh, "Hey, I'm I'm like everybody else. I want to be in the NHL someday." Uh, how do you feel you're a different coach than when you left the Oil Kings?
3: Well, I, I, you know, part of my belief and, and philosophy is, as a person and a coach is you, you never you never quit learning. You learn every day, and I think that's something I took away as a player. I, I think I had a hard time understanding that you have to learn every day and get better as a player. You, know, you come out a junior scoring sixty goals, you think you know everything, and, and uh, you, you learn pretty quick when your your career hits the wall that you you, you need to kind of uh, address it in a different way. And I've done it as a coach, and I think the last four years in coaching in American Hockey League. You're really mature, not as a, as a person, but as a coach. And you understand, you know, how you're dealing with these young millennials, young players, and the issues of on and off the ice. You know, they've all had so much, so much success coming out of junior and college. And I, I think that's the biggest thing is just probably listening and adapting and just, you know, and then trying just to, you know, not be so emotional on the bench. Let the players play, coaches read, you know, make changes, make uh, uh, adjustments during the game and try and help the players get through. If they're having a tough shift, a tough game, better off to try and get them through and, and on a positive way to having a better shift is only going to help your team. I just, it's, you know, yelling at a player, getting down on a player, you know, you might get a response for a game or a shift, but it, it, it ends pretty quick, and now you got to find a different way to motivate that player. So for, for me as a coach, just over the, uh, probably the last two years, you really just learn to sit back and, you know, and dissect your team and
1: really take a, an interest in each player as an individual, not only really just on the ice but off the ice. Yeah, well said, Derek. You know, look, I'm i going to throw one at you, and and I hope you don't mind me asking. But like I said, you know, hey, every, if you're in hockey, you want you want to make the NHL, coaches, players, managers scouts trainers you name it you want to work for an nhl team uh we've seen this week obvious, obviously some vacancies including one within your own organization calgary fired their coach today you're coaching the texas stars how do you balance applications letting people know you're available with obviously what you're what you're doing by, behind the bench because i know when an nhl job goes open i mean hey that's going to be sought after by a lot of people
3: well, I, I, you know, when you're when you're coaching right now and obviously we're in the playoffs and my and my my job is to prepare the Texas Stars for the first playoff game on Thursday night. But, you know, in the back of my mind my goal is to coach in the National Hockey League, head coach or assistant coach and try and challenge myself and get to the next level and you know, I feel that I've got to the point now where the probably the next challenge is moving on to the next level or or uh, obviously try to get this team to win uh, call the cup in Texas. But um uh, I have a, I have a representation, that a gentleman that represents me, and he'll look after all that uh, in the next couple of weeks or when my season's over. If someone comes knocking, just kicking tires, and see what uh, teams are looking for. If there's any interest, and then just go through the process. Um, I, I learned a long time ago, Reed. Um, you know, you really don't have to go out and sell yourself. But at the end of the day, if you do a good job, people will come looking for you, and people will knock on your door. And, and I got to be honest with you. You know, if I'm looking at the uh, the job with the Edmonton Oil Kings, uh, I ended up getting a, a, a call from uh, uh, Bob Green. I just I just called to see what was going on. I said, "Yeah, we, we uh, someone mentioned your name to us, and you know, from there it uh, turned out pretty great." And then the same thing with Texas. I knew Texas, and they came knocking after we won the World Cup. But so you know, teams are a lot of winners, and uh, obviously, if you look after the uh, situation moving forward, the playoffs, we get through the first round and get to the second round and, and go on a deep run. Obviously, uh, hopefully, something will, uh, will look up, look up better for
1: us. Yeah, well, well said, and uh, going to be a good series for the Ontario. Like you mentioned, starts Thursday. Uh, I think you got a week between games if it goes five. That there's going to be a coaching challenge if <laughs> if, if, if that happens. But uh, you'll cross that bridge when you get to it, Derek. It's great to keep in touch with you. All the best in this series, and as you keep uh, keep uh, plugging away with your career here, uh, I know people still talk fondly of the work you did with the Oil Kings. All the best with Texas, man. All
3: right, Reid. I appreciate the conversation. Thank you again all to all the uh, Oil King fans out there. It's like saying know hey, man. And uh, it's it's amazing. It's already been four years, but uh, we all still think about that that uh, incredible World Cup run. See you soon, Dirk. Okay, thanks, Pete. Appreciate it. Thank you.
1: That is Derek Laxdahl checking in as we get you ready for the American Hockey League playoffs. Obviously, the Oilers farm team did not qualify, so we'll keep an eye on Texas and Ontario. Also of note, a guy who was once the Oilers interim head coach, Todd Nelson, head coach of the Grand Rapids Griffins. They won the AHL last season. They're going to be playing the Manitoba Moose in the first round. That series will start Saturday afternoon. All right, WHL playoffs. They're down to just four teams remaining. One of them, the Tri-City Americans who are red hot. Their general manager Bob Torrey will join us after the break. You're listening to 630 ChED Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Panarin has tied it for the Blue Jackets. 2-2 against Washington, 12 minutes left in the third. Still one-nothing Jets over the wild. That is after two periods. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks for tuning in tonight in the Western Hockey League. It'll be Swift Current against Lethbridge in one series. The other semifinal, the other conference final, will keep feature Everett against Tri City. And man, Tri City has been on fire. Their general manager is Bob Torrey. However, Bob, tonight I initially introduce you as former phys ed teacher at Kenilworth <laughs> Junior High right here in Edmonton. <laughs>
4: That's pretty awesome. A lot of great memories there. Spent uh, close to 10 years there. So that was. Uh... Appreciate that. That's uh, back to my roots.
1: Well, you know, people love hearing that. You know, I have Kelly Rudy on once a week, and he often talks about playing road hockey uh, in West Edmonton, which is no longer as far west in Edmonton it was as it used to be. What was uh, what was your neighborhood uh, as a as a younger individual, Bob?
4: <laughs> yeah, I grew grew up in Malmo, just by Southgate, and uh, lots of road hockey there. That's for sure. That's uh, and the rink was just over the fence in our backyard, so. A lot of a lot of nights on the outdoor rink and uh, a lot of fun. That's for sure.
1: So, if someone would have told you when you were ten or 12, one day you'd be the uh, GM of a team called the Tri City Americans, uh, what do you what do you what do you laugh? What have you been scrambling for a map to find? Because, of course, Tri citys a region, not this stuff. What, what, what was there? Did you have any managerial aspirations as a as a kid? Uh,
4: no, probably. You know, I played minor hockey in Edmonton, and then. Uh, Taught phys ed, obviously, in in Edmonton and and started coaching minor hockey. Probably had aspirations of coaching more than anything. And then actually had an opportunity to start scouting for Prince Albert when they came to the league as an expansion team with Terry Simpson. And one thing sort of led to another and got offered a job in Portland as a scout and took a leave of absence teaching and never gone back. And it sort of, obviously, one thing led into another. But obviously, the time I spent teaching certainly prepared me Uh, For this job, dealing with young athletes, seeing how they mature, um, seeing, you know, the day-to-day changes of adolescence, (laughs) Uh, you know, those lessons uh, are very valuable each and every day. And without my teaching background, I don't think I would have had nearly the success we've enjoyed, not only here, but in other
1: places. Yeah, well said. I'm going to throw one at you here, Bob, because... The the a, a scout you know that can be a really anonymous job whether you're in the NHL WHL or or pick a level uh, you know a lot of times a, a guy might be a coach and they say well the you know the team moved him into scouting or, or or whatever so there's not a lot of glamour to it what, what having done the job and now having to hire scouts what makes a good scout? Well, the first thing is passion for the game, no question. They
4: got to be passionate about the game and, and love the game. And the second thing, the most important thing, is a strong work ethic because uh, you've got to be willing to go to the rink and you've got to be willing to spend time in the evening and and weekends away from home. And and it's a huge commitment, so you need a very supportive family, uh, you know, unless you're retired or something like that. But, you know, I think passion and work, (coughs) work ethic are the two most important things. And then, you know, experience, and you can only get experience by someone giving you the job and you going out and doing it would be the next thing
1: bob tory joining us on inside sports gm of the tri-city americans as he mentioned uh from edmonton so uh, speaking of scouting didn't didn't they just have i don't know if this just wrapped up uh yesterday or a couple of days ago didn't they just have a combine for american players uh, in anaheim that must them that, that yeah. must be something they wouldn't have had uh you know a decade or two ago no it's
4: relatively new probably about 10 years and it just wrapped up yesterday and we bring the draft-eligible kids, as many as we can, because, you know, some some don't know much about the WHL, some are focused solely on NCAA, but we invite, you know, so that there's four teams, and it's usually a very good crop, and usually there's, you know, probably 10 to 20 kids get drafted in our Bantam draft out of the camp, so it was a good camp. It's been in Anaheim for a number of years, you know, whether it needs to be moved around or not, you know, those are things to be discussed, but certainly that's, things have changed so much Scouting at our level now with not only camps and combines like that, but the provincial camps that go on. And then now the Canadian Sports School League, which has so many uh, academies and sports schools and tournaments that, you know, um, it's actually probably made the scouting a little bit easier.
1: Okay, I got you. Bob Torrey joining us on Inside Sports. Okay, so your team, the Tri-City Americans, bob i mean you sweep the first two rounds and i was looking back over your regular season results too and if i go back about your last 20 games if i factor in your your final dozen regular season games you've barely lost bob uh talk about getting hot at the right time what's been going on for you guys
4: well certainly a couple things obviously the team got healthy and and um, another thing is we have a large number of players that have been with us for a long time so it's a very mature team. Uh, the coaching staff has been with us for four years, so um, that, that certainly helped. But the biggest thing, we didn't play one game during the regular season with our full roster. We didn't have a full roster until our first playoff game, which is an amazing thing. But the last couple of years, we've battled injuries, and I think that adversity helped us prepare for the playoffs because the last 10 games of the season were like playoff games for us. And it also, what happened is a lot of our younger players, you know we didn't jettison in a lot of older guys when we had injuries we continued to play the court the guys on our team and i think it really helped develop some of our uh, depth players and our younger players uh, a little bit quicker
1: bob you need good goaltending well that's an understatement you often need great goaltending to go deep in the playoffs patrick day from st albert former edmonton oil king uh, tell us uh, why he's been able to put it together for a pretty strong season
4: well, 20 years old, so he's been in the league a long time. You know, he got a fresh start with us here in Tri-Cities, and he's uh, very popular in the dressing room. He's an outgoing guy, and, and he works extremely hard, and he's tremendously competitive, and, you know, he it, it was just a good fit for him, and, and he's uh, him along with Beck Warm have given us excellent goaltending, and like I said, he's 20 years old now, and he's he's been through it. If, if you look back, he's had a history of success in minor hockey when he was in St. Albert, and... Came into the Western League at a young age, and you know we're happy that he was. We were able to get him this uh, off season when he was released by Edmonton.
1: All right, and you're taking on Everett, and to, I guess for the goaltending theme, and another uh, Edmonton area kid, Carter Hart is Everett's goalie. Uh, does the stoning, does the scouting report on the Everett Silvertips start with Carter Hart?
4: Yeah, no question. I mean, they have an excellent hockey team. They are very well coached, very well prepared. But Carter Hart's in a league of his own. He's he's an elite goaltender at this level. You know, Usually there's like one per year at that caliber, one or two. I mean, Stuart Skinner could be the other one uh, in Swift right now. But uh, no question, Hart's the key. But Everett has a good team. They're well-balanced, well-coached. And uh, obviously they finished first in the U.S. Division. Uh, certainly probably the favorites going into this series. But uh, we've been the underdog all year, so we'll... We'll cherish that and use it as
1: motivation. Well, you guys have been cherishing it so far. Uh, Like I mentioned, sweeps in your first two rounds, and now a tough ever team. And, of course, as I mentioned on the the other side, Swift Current and uh, Lethbridge. Swift surviving uh, a couple tough series within the province of Saskatchewan to get through there. Bob, it's great to talk to you again. I, I know it's been really busy for you, so thanks for fitting us in here on 630 Chet, and all the best. I hope we can do this again soon.
4: Yeah, not a problem. Always my pleasure.
1: Thank you. Right on. That is Bob Torrey checking in tonight, General Manager of the Tri-City Americans. Man, I wish we had a little more time with Bob there. Uh, Good stuff on his roots in Edmonton and uh, on scouting and what makes uh, a good scout and certainly on why the Americans have been able to put it together at the perfect time of the season. So that series will start on Friday. Everett has home ice advantage and Swift Current and Lethbridge also starting on Friday. Swift Current with home ice advantage in that set. All right, final look at the NHL scoreboard before we say farewell for the night. Capitals and Blue, Blue Jackets, 2-2 with seven minutes left. Start of the third, Jets up 1-0 on the Wild. Golden Knights and Kings later on. They're in the 10th inning. Blue Jays and Royals tied 4-4. Second half of a doubleheader. Blue Jays won the earlier game, 11-3. Raptors are now up 2-0 on the Wizards. In that series, winning tonight, 130-119. High-scoring game and game 4 of the alberta junior hockey league final after the first period okotoks up 1 nothing in spruce grove the saints do lead the series 3 zip thanks to kellen kennedy our studio producer the producer of the show is dave campbell my name is reed wilkins thanks to everybody who called and texted as well talk to you tomorrow 630 chad inside sports with reed wilkins weekdays at 6 on 630 chad